Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> so we're trying a new thing this morning. Please bear with us. Um, yeah, it's so amazing to see all of you, to see such a full hall. And just to celebrate what God is doing. Donkeys are, now she's taking a picture. <laughs> Appreciate the pressure. Hmm. Yeah, it's so great to have you all here and to have all the families here. And yeah, everyone just to partake in, in this morning. It's always so amazing just to bring kids to be before God and just to dedicate them. Um, we know that we are made for relationship and relationship is so important to God. Um, I think God really wants us to flourish in our relationships. He wants our relationships to go well, um, to, they, not just to exist, not just to be, you know, mediocre, but really to flourish. And that is why we also had our relationship week um, this past week. For those of you who, haven't, who weren't there, I'm sorry, we did not record it. But I'll just give like a, a brief overview of what we were talking about this week. And he said, I must not make the intro too long. So if it goes like this, you know it. I'm taking too long. I'm sorry. So on Sunday, Andrew just started talking about identity, and I think that is really um, such an important place to start: is our relationship with God, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what God says about us. I think there's so many people that define us, that say think about things about us, but just knowing that um, the one who cre- what the one who created you says about you, um, and I think it was such a convicting thing just to to realize that we should actually go and make lists of what God has told you about yourself um, and to, so that you can go back to it and read it and see. But, but if the world says this, this is what God says about me. This is actually the truth of who I am. Um, and I think so many times we, we lose ourselves in, in other people's opinions. Um, we lose ourselves so much. But really just to go back and to see, but actually God says this about me. Um, and I really felt like some of us have to go to a place of discovering again who we are, discovering because so many things are, are going on, you know, and we, we lose ourselves. But really just to get to that place of discovering again, who are we? How, who are you? Um, you were saying that, you know, your job is not who you are. You know, um, that it's not what defines you. Uh, the things that you, that you enjoy, that you like, that's also not what defines you. Who are you? And I think that is like a haunting question a little bit because um, our identity is always connected to something that we do or accomplish. Um, but really just to know, but what does God really say who, who I am? And then we had a ladies' night. I can say a lot about the ladies' night. It was really amazing. Um, I think the girls really shared from their hearts, and there was such a lot of amazing stuff, mic drops at the ladies' night um, uh, that I can share with you. Um, we, we talked about having healthy relationships with our work, not that your, that your work should also not be the thing that defines you. Um, Shamisa was talking about just being content in your singleness, and I think she she did the the, the, the you know the biggest mic drop. When she said, "You don't have to be a, you don't have to only be a Proverbs 31 woman. You can be a whole Bible woman." 
So ladies, if that's the only thing you remember today, you don't have to just be a Proverbs 31 woman, you can be a whole Bible woman. Um, and that is really so awesome. I think all of us were like, huh, you know, imagine that, <laughs> being a whole Bible woman. That sounds good to me. Um, and then there was also other things where we just realized that we need to be in right relationship with ourselves. So many times we compare ourselves to this one and that one, and that, that this person's life looks so sorted out. They look like they've got all got it all, you know, together, and I feel like a, such a mess, but um, yeah, just to not compare ourselves with other people, you know, to do you well, don't try and do someone else, you know, God can only change the person that you are, not the person you're pretending to be, so be yourself, um, and, and it's, it's, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> And I think that is actually convicting. You know, when you hear these things and, it, and you think that's amazing, it's because it's convicting you. It's, it's speaking to your heart. Um, just to stop comparing ourselves um, and to know that we are all working out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, I also say that we should, have, we should stop having unrealistic expectations of people, of our spouses, of our friends, of our children, and expect people to complete us. I think we all know that saying that there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. And so many times we're looking for other things to fill that hole. You know, you want your husband to be perfect, to fill that hole. Your children must be perfect to fill that hole, or this must be perfect, but there's, it's only God that can satisfy that deep need uh, many times that we have, and he's the only one that can complete us completely, because God is the only one that does not disappoint us, and when things are, I mean, we are all, we are all fallen human beings, we all make mistakes, I don't think, is there someone who's perfect in here, maybe you can pray for us, Diavalt, would you like to pray for us, Diavalt, I think we should pray for you, Diavalt, I'm just kidding. Just a joke. Devout is this close from being perfect. Just a little bit more than is. Just kidding, Devout. Um, yeah, um, and also just to know that we shouldn't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Sometimes we look for, look for love in all the wrong places. I think that was one of the things that Mason was saying, that you know, we try and do things to get people's love. Um, but God is the only one that will love you unconditionally, and he's the one where we should actually look for our love and our acceptance. Um, so I don't know a lot about the guys' evening. I just know it was amazing. And they also shared, about, shared really deeply about being, um, getting victory over things that you were struggling with. Um, and it, God is the one that can give you victory, even if it's something that you think, you know, it's really heavy. God can bring victory. God, if you're just willing to walk the road with him. And also um, making the most of every season of manhood. That sounds so cool. Making the most of every season of manhood. Whether you're, uh, you know, parenting, uh, you're an empty nester like the gettings, or, you know, you're like single or engaged. But really making the most of your season and not wishing that that season's over. And I think that is such a big thing. We don't, we don't live in the moment. We wish the moment away because I just want to get there or I just want to get there and I just want to get there. And then you miss the moment that you are in. When, and there's actually so many things that God wants to do in that season that you are in. Um, and not to miss those opportunities, not to miss seeing but what God wants to do in the season that you're in. And then on our, at our big group, there was another mic drop with Yana and Jonathan. Which, um, they were sharing that you have to grow through what you go through. 
You have to grow through what you go through. And I thought, yo, that is really amazing. Um, and I think we are really trying to do that. <laughs> I'll get that there now. Um, Friday we had couples night. And this morning, Rehani really just had on his heart to share about love and respect. And I thought, oh my goodness, love and respect, okay? It feels like you want to share about stuff that we have to, you know, grow through what we're going through. Um, but many times God wants you to share about stuff that, that he's doing in your life. And, um, yeah, just a disclaimer. I, want, I like the disclaimers. We've been married now for 20 years. Neeni, can you know? Yes. I'm amazing. <laughs> so I think for 20 years, I mean, you think, okay, you've, you know, it's not that long. It's not 34 and 35 or 40. But it's, you know, you think, okay, I've got, a, I've, I should know a little bit of stuff. I should know. We've got three children. You know, we've had a son with special needs. So I should know some things. But then really you realize, God, I have just started. I really, there's such a lot to, know, to learn still. And actually it feels like, you're driving this car that's out of control and you really don't know what you're doing. Um, so I just want to say the things that we're going to share, it's stuff that we are also working through, stuff that God is working in, in our lives and we have definitely not arrived. Um, Izan made a point of that, telling everyone that we haven't arrived. Um, we save our holiness for Sundays and then the rest of the week we're just trying to grow through what we're going through. And it's, it's really humbling just to know that we're all a feet of clay. We are all works in process. Jesus is the potter, we are the clay, and he's still busy making us and molding us. So this morning, yeah, I just want to read a scripture. It's um, Ephesians 5. That's the scripture that we'll be sharing from. Um, Ephesians 5 verse 28. It should be there somewhere. Um, And it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thanks, Rochelle. Um, So I I just want, obviously I I won't be able to share everything that's going on in in this passage. Uh, There's there's just too much there, but I I just want to focus on uh, what what we need from one another, why we need it, and and how we can give it to one another. So Paul here commands husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands. And the reason why he does that is because love is the deepest need that that a wife has from a husband you can you can almost take it a bit further and and and, and say you can almost generalize it um i think safely to to say that that in general relationally women need love that that's really a big need a genuine love and and the same can be said for men, for men we need respect we, we seek respect. We desire respect. Um, and, and if we understand that, then we understand one another. Because here's the thing. We tend to, as human beings, want to give one another what we want. Isn't that so? 
You know, so many parents do that where they, you know, as a child, I just wish I had lots of toys. But what your kid needs is not lots of toys because your kid is a bit different from you. You know, so you give your kid lots of toys because that's what you wanted as a child and never got. Okay. And, and we so tend to do that. But we must realize, especially as men and women, as husbands and wives, that we are different. We are fundamentally different from one another and our needs are different. And, and we as husbands need to know that what our wife needs, what my wife needs most is not exactly the same as what I need most. And, and, and the same for, uh, for wives. And, and that's also why Paul makes that the chief responsibility of each spouse. So he says that the chief responsibility of the husband is to make sure that he loves his wife. And in verse 33, he gets very personal and very specific. He's not talking in general. He's not talking about general principles. He's saying, let each husband, each husband, see to it that he loves his wife as he loves himself. And let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. In other words, Paul says that each spouse has the responsibility to give their spouse what they need most. And, and just notice carefully that God, through Paul, is telling husbands, is saying that the responsibility to love your wife, you as a husband must take responsibility for that. Okay? He doesn't say, wives, make your husbands love you, or husbands, make your wives respect you. Okay? Both love and respect are gifts that are given freely and voluntarily. And that doesn't mean you, sh- you shouldn't ask for them in marriage, or you may not ask for them in marriage, but it means that if we do marriage the way God intended it, we shouldn't have to ask for these things. Because I, as a husband, will take responsibility to love my wife. As myself, and my wife will take responsibility to respect me. So, um, let's just talk about love and respect. What, 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 does, what does Paul mean here with, with love? What does he mean with respect? So, let's start with love. The, the word um, that, that he uses in, in the Greek is agape, which is a well known word which means unconditional love. You get different words for love in, in uh, Greek, unlike English, where you just have one word and it's love. But in, in Greek, you had different words. You had eros, which was more romantic sexual love. You had philos, which is more friendship kind of love. And then you have, had agape, which is an unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. And, and Paul, elsewhere in this passage, he, he describes it in two ways. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Maybe you can just bring up that scripture, verse 25, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25. The other one, uh, where, where, where Paul says, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with a word. And then in verse 28, he says, and in the same way as husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So he, he says, husbands, love your wives in two ways. As Christ loved the church and as you love your own body. Okay? So when he says, as Christ loved the church, he says two things. He says, Christ gave himself up for her. In other words, 
that kind of love is sacrificial. And to sanctify her, that kind of love is sanctifying. So, so this is a very powerful paradigm, and I wish I had more time to spend on this. But just very briefly, if Christ is our paradigm for how to love one another, then he shows us that the one thing that love is not is selfish. It's self-sacrificing. It's not self-gratifying. It's self-sacrificing. It's self-giving. Giving yourself. Being willing to disadvantage your, yourself in order to advantage the one that you love. And that love is sanctifying. In other words, it's cleansing. It makes the person that you love better. See, that's the problem that Adam had with, 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 with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He wasn't actually loving her by saying, yes, fine, eat the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and someone give me some as well, so that I can, I can eat with you. That wasn't sanctifying love. True love, Christ-like love, is sanctifying. It will make the person that you love better. It, it, does, it, it acknowledges that, that the person that you love is imperfect and that they can grow and become better, more sanctified, more cleansed, more holy. So, we must love our wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially and sanctifying. But then we must also love Christ, uh, we must also love our wives as our own bodies. And he mentions two things there, nourishing and cherishing. Um, and just very briefly, nourishing refers to just what it sounds like, feeding. Giving the person what they need giving them the food that they need. Um, and, and cherishing literally means to make warm. Okay? So, if you can think about it in this way, you know, you, when you, when you, how do you love your own body? By providing it with what it needs and by protecting it from what is harmful to it. Okay? So you love your body by giving it the food, the water, all the, the nutrients, the input the substance that it needs. But you also love it by covering it with clothes when it's, when it's cold and, and, and keeping it warm, protecting it from the cold that, it, that could harm it. So true love that God wants from us is both love that provides and love that protects. Nourishing love provides. Cherishing love protects. And I think that's actually, if you take those two things together, it gives you a very full picture of what our love should actually look like. And obviously, you know, Paul is not saying that men don't need love. You know, men also need love. You must also love, love your husband. But what he is saying is that... Um, Wives have a, have a special need, and especially within marriage, for this kind of love. And, and, and we, should, we should love one another in this way. And then just one other thing before I ask Rochelle to quickly come up again that I want you to notice is that Paul doesn't say, husbands, if your wives are lovely, love them as you love yourself. <laughs> and he doesn't say, wives, if your husbands are respectable, respect them. In other words, He's implying that the love and the respect are unconditional. Unconditional. And, and you might say, but oof, you know, that's, that's kind of tough, you know. You, you don't know my husband, or, or you don't know my wife, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> Does God really expect me to love them or to respect them unconditionally? Seriously? That's, that's a bit of a tall order. <laughs> and it is. It is. I was thinking about it. It's interesting. He quotes Genesis 2 verse 24. You know, that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. But, you know, the whole the marriage was instituted before the fall, before sin came into the world. So marriage was instituted in a perfect world and God expects a perfect standard of us in marriage. How can we do that? This passage does answer that question as well. But Rochelle just wants to quickly come up and just share um, about respect. I'll share a bit about defining what love is. So Rochelle just wants to share about what respect is. Um, yeah, so respect. Hmm. I always think it's... It feels like God really explained that scripture so much in the love context. And then it's just that last sentence. Wives, see to it that you respect your husbands. So it's like, God, okay, and what else? <laughs> that whole scripture, the whole love is very expounded and then respect. It's just one sentence. And I was thinking last night, okay. So, um, yeah, so when it comes to respect, there are three ways that you can respect um, that you can respect someone. Um, you can respect the person, you can respect the position, and you can respect the performance. Is it there? There is a slide for that one. The person, the position, or the performance. So when it comes to respecting the person, I think that is like a basic, a basic form of respect that we should all have for people around us. So we're all supposed to respect one another, respect each other's views. We respect each other because we're people. We are all married. Um, <laughs> respect what I want to say. So we were all created in the image of God. So that is why we respect people. Um, and I think many times that also does not happen the way it's supposed to. But we are supposed to respect, you know, even the guy standing at the traffic light. We respect those people. Um, the person that is watching your car, you respect those people. That is a basic respect that we are supposed to have for one another. Even pers- people that don't have the same views as we do. Um, we don't Bible bash or, you know, judge people. We respect them and we love them in that way. So that's the basic respect that we have for people. The second one is respecting the position. So it's, it's when someone has a specific authority and you respect that person's authority. So if you're a CEO of like a major company and you, you know, you're in a hurry to go to a meeting and you really have to get there soon and the traffic light is out and out pops the traffic officer, uh, even though you might be a very important person, that traffic officer's position trumps your position. So you have to ab- abide by what they are saying. They direct the traffic, and you respect that position. Um, and many times, even you know, people around us, people that are in authority, children have to respect their teachers. Um, we respect people because of the position that they are in, and it's also something um, sometimes that is very challenged, um, because it's not always easy to respect those people. You have to respect your boss. You know, you don't have to, you shouldn't be disrespectful to your boss. You must respect his position, even though you might not agree with everything that they say. The third one is the performance, where you respect someone because of 
good performance because of what they do. I respect that you, you say in Bolt that you are the fastest man on earth. I respect that you've done this amazing thing and I respect you for that. So respecting the performance. And when it comes to those three areas, the first two, respecting the person and respecting the position, um, that is unconditional. You know, you can't say I'm not going to respect these people, but I'm not going to respect those people. Um, those two are unconditional. It's supposed to be unconditional. And the third one usually is conditional. And I think in marriage, that is what we, where we also get stuck. Um, we kind of, we get stuck in the performance. The person's performance is not good, so then, then there's a struggle to, to respect one another. There's a struggle to respect because I can see I want you to do X, Y, and Z. You didn't do X, Y, and Z, so your performance wasn't good. So now there's a struggle, you know, how do I respect um, in, that, in that situation? Um, and it, I mean, we're talking about marriage, but these things you can really take to any area of life. Um, you need to respect your boss, even though you don't always think he's the greatest, even though you feel his performance is lacking we still respect that position. We're still res- supposed to respect them for that in that situation. And I was thinking about just the fact that, I mean, how disrespect manifests. I think as women, we don't always realize because how it manifests probably. And how it manifests is in criticism or comparison or frustration. And we're not saying, you know, we shouldn't have a healthy relationship where we talk about stuff and, you know, there's... Um, Conflict. It's not like there should not be conflict, but it's in how these things are manifesting in your life. It's how the criticism comes over. And that for me was like really an eye-opening thing where I'm just like bringing my opinion and telling Henny how I feel. But then he sees it as disrespect. And I feel, but I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just giving you my position. I'm just being passionate and saying passionately how I feel about it. I still respect your position as the, the leader of the house, as the king. I respect it, but then the way it is conveyed, the way it is communicated, comes across to the person as disrespect. And I think that is also the thing um, that is important. When it comes to love, like Annie was saying, you need to love the person in a way that feels like love to them. It mustn't feel like love to you, but to the person that you're loving. And when it comes to respect, it must feel like respect to your husband or to the person that you're showing respect to. You mustn't think, but I'm being so, res- so respectful, but it comes across as disrespect. Then you, then you haven't made it. <laughs> then you've missed the mark. Um, and I think that is the thing that is really convicting. That is the thing is how do you show it in a way biblically that comes across right to the person. And um, Henry will say now, but biblically, biblically when it comes to love and respect, it sh- both should be in a marriage unconditional. Um, even performance, we're not saying that when your husband or when a man does something horrible to his wife, then we respect that. Obviously, it's not about that, uh, something that is really bad and it's, you know, abusing his wife and then we respect that, not at all. But it's uh, just respecting the person's position um, and showing respect. I mean, no, I just agree with that. That... Um, just because if you're a wife, just because you respect your husband doesn't mean you have to always agree with your husband. Uh, I always think of that um, story of, uh, we read it now recently with our kids, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Meshach, Yorshak, and a bungalow. And uh, they, were, 
They were told to, by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was like the emperor of the known world, to, to bow before his golden idol, the statue that he had made when the music played. And, and their response to him was, was amazing because they said, um, our, and he said, you know, is your, your God able to save you from the fiery furnace if I throw you into it, if you disobey me? And they said, yes, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, and then they say, oh, king, we will still not bow before your your statue, but but just the way they addressed him—that oh, king was respect. We, we disagree with you. We we are unfortunately going to disobey you because we are obeying a higher authority. But we still address you with respect as oh, king, not you jerk or you you fool or whatever. Um, they still addressed him with uh, with with respect. So the the world obviously works a lot to undermine men's you know women's ability to respect men. In, in general, and husbands, in, their husbands in particular, and to undermine um, men's ability to love women uh, in general and their wives in particular. And for instance, um, you know, in, in our culture, I, what Rochelle said now about respecting the person, the, the position, the performance, and, and that the first two are unconditional, the, the world, to some extent, might agree with that, but it, it can't really give grounds for that. So, so the world will say, yes, human rights, you know, you must respect every human being. Then you ask, why? No, because we say so. There's, there's no proper basis that the world can give why you should respect every person. Whereas the Bible says, respect all people because all people are created in the image of God. So it gives a reason for that. The same with, with position, you know. Um, you know, that, the world will say, yes, performance. We respect performance. You know, merit, performance, doing well, working hard, all that kind of stuff. We respect that. But, but what about position? That's the one thing that the world doesn't actually want to respect. In fact, the world is very suspicious of positions of authority. And, and understandably so, because let's face it, Positions of authority have been abused a lot. That's always been true, but now with the internet, we know about it a lot more. <laughs> so, so let's face it, we're all kind of skeptical about this whole thing about position because authority, position authority has and is being abused so often. We're skeptical about it. You know, young women like, you know, they're just quite irked often by the mere fact that their husband, God calls their husband the head of the household. You know, is, you know, does God think, you know, my husband is smarter than me or better than me, a better leader or so? Not at all. We're going to see uh, why God uh, does it that way in a moment. But, you know, even young men are like, you know, I don't want some leadership position because I don't like leadership positions. I don't like authority. I'm, I'm skeptical of it. Um, so the world works to undermine the grounds for respect. Um, if, you, if you think also just about the, the whole, you know, women's lib and feminist movement, I don't think it's, it's necessarily intentional, but the practical result of that is often that women disdain men. You know, when, when I've spoken to, to feminists, I've often heard that, that contempt and that disdain towards men because all men are pigs, you know, and there's the stereotype. And once again, understandable because, yes, a lot of women have been abused by a lot of men. That is true. Uh, but then all men get painted with the same brush, you know, and treated with, with contempt. And, and, and we have to be real about the fact that our culture undermines our ability to love and respect one, well, uh, one another well. Um, the same with, 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 with men. 
I mean, the, the porn industry is one of the biggest industries in the world. And what porn does is one thing. It objectifies women so that they are made objects to be used rather than people to be loved. And it once again, you know, it, it creates a, a contempt towards women and even a hatred towards women. And, and unfortunately with the internet, once again, it, there's widespread, I mean, probably most men sitting here in this audience have at some stage been exposed to pornography. And that undermines our ability to love women in general and our wives in particular. Because it, in our minds, it rewires our minds as men to objectify women rather than to see them, to, to see them as objects to be used rather than people to be loved. And that's a massive problem. Amen? Can I get an amen from the men? It is a problem. Uh, then also, one of our highest values, now th there's a lot of other stuff in culture that also undermines. I'm just mentioning a few as examples because I want you to see that our culture is working to undermine our ability to love and respect. But for both men and women, in, in the modern West, probably our highest value is freedom, individual freedom. And what that results in for women is women must be these independent, strong women who don't actually need men. You remember that saying, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle? One of the, <laughs> one of the popular sayings in, in, the, in, the, in the women's love movement. But, but women are, you know, have to, there's pressure on women to be independent. Um, and now if you want to have a biblical marriage and you have to submit to your husband, that's, that's not easy. But let me just say this to, to you as modern women. When you are a strong independent woman and you still make the decision to give your husband the gift of submitting to him, it means so much more than if someone did it who was just a plus Macy who grew up on a farm and never, you know, that, that's part of a culture, you know. It's a gift given. The second thing is, for, for the same thing for men. Men also, freedom is the highest value. And men often, because of that, become very commitment-phobic. Afraid to make commitments. Because you lose freedom when you make commitments to someone. When you marry, when you have children, the reality is that you lose some of your... You give up some of your freedom. And many men don't want to do that. But bear in mind... That a love relationship, and marriage in particular, is one of the most liberating losses of freedom that is available to us. It liberates you to become more of who you are and who you, God intended you and predestined you to be. So what, what I'm trying to say is our culture is working to undermine our ability to love and respect. We must be aware of that and we must allow God to change our hearts so that we... Um, so that we as the church are different. Okay, there's actually a lot more that I wanted to share here, but I think I'm going to skip some because... Um, let me just say this, that if you, if you learn this, if you learn to love and respect unconditionally, it'll not only improve your marriage if you're married, it'll improve all your relationships with men and women. Because it's true for all men and women that we need love and respect. So your, your, your relationship with your friends, your parents, your, your, your colleagues, all of that 
will be better if you, if you do this. You know, um, if you can learn to respect unconditionally, then your relationship with your, with your employer, for instance, will be better because you owe respect to them, even when their performance is not always perfect. Likewise, if you can learn to love those who submit to you, then your relationship with your employees will be better because you'll always seek their best interest, not just to use them to make you money or to make you look better or for you to get gain, but actually you'll be working for their benefit. So, so your relationship with all your employees will be better as well. Um, but it's even more important for husbands and wives because husbands and wives, the Bible says, and, and this is the scripture Paul quotes, it says, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. In other words, in marriage, Husbands and wives become one flesh. What does that mean? C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, we could just bring up that quote from, from C.S. Lewis as, as this thing that he says in Mere Christianity that I quite like. Um, he says, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and wife are to be regarded as a single organism. For that is what the word one flesh would be in modern English. And the Christians believe that when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment, but stating a fact. Just as one is stating a fact, when one says that a lock and its key are one mechanism, or that a violin and a bow are one musical instrument. And we often underestimate the intimacy and therefore the vulnerability that comes along with being one flesh in marriage. Now, spouses, just listen to me very carefully. And those who are going to get married at some stage, just listen very carefully. We go, often go into marriage thinking, I can treat my spouse like I treated my parents, or like I treated my siblings, or like I treated my friends. No, you cannot. You did not have a one flesh relationship with your parents, or with your siblings, or with your friends. Your spouse is more vulnerable to you than any of those. God designed it that way. That, that when it says that they will be united, he, the, the, the husband will be united to his wife, it's in the passive voice. It, in other words, it's not something he does. He doesn't, it doesn't say the husband will unite with his wife. It says as though it's something he does. It says a husband will be united to his wife as though it's something that is done to him. By God. God does something in marriage that causes spouses to be one flesh with one another and therefore to be more vulnerable to one another than in any other relationship. You can make or break your spouse through what you give to them or through what you withhold from them. If you give them the love or respect that they need most, It'll build them up. It'll make them in ways that, I mean, when you say to your wife, I love you, and you show her that you love her, it'll mean more to her than when anyone else does it. And then even if other people don't love her, she'll be able to handle it. But if you don't love her, it'll really hurt her. Because that vulnerability of being one flesh is there, and we underestimate that. So that's why in marriage especially, we need to love um, and respect one another. So, how can we do this? 
We should love and respect one another unconditionally. But, you know, so, you know, it's a perfect commitment to another imperfect person. <laughs> That's what marriage is. It's a perfect commitment to another imperfect person. And the reality is we need unconditional love and unconditional respect. And the reality is we're not always going to receive it from our spouse. And that's why Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Because he's saying whatever is true about earthly marriage only, in a sense, points to the heavenly marriage. Whatever is true about this temporary marriage, because it is only temporary until death do us part, is true of the eternal marriage that will never end. You see, if you're a Christian, every one of you, if you're a Christian, will be married. You might not be married here on earth, but you will be married. You might not be married to a human spouse, but you will be married to, to a divine spouse. The marriage supper of the Lamb, you will take part in it. And this marriage on earth only points to that. And what Paul is saying is that marriage and the gospel, Christ and the church, mutually explain one another. In other words, what he's saying is that you cannot fully understand marriage unless you understand the gospel. And you cannot fully understand the gospel unless you understand marriage. Because they mutually explain one another. And our earthly spouse might not be able to give us the unconditional love and respect that we crave and need, but our divine spouse can. You see, Jesus is our divine spouse, and he is perfect. It will not be just an imperfect, a perfect commitment to an imperfect person. The gospel, Jesus, as a perfect person, makes a perfect commitment to us. And he gives us what we really need. And it's only to the extent that we receive in our relationship with him what we need most that we are able to give it to one another. We need unconditional love and respect. And the only place we can get it is from Christ. And as we receive it from Christ, we can give it to one another. So I, was, I also just realized that when it comes to unconditional love, the way God gives it to us, I don't really think we grasp what God's unconditional love is like. Um, I think, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's true, um, but I, I know that, especially if you've been hurt in relationships, you know, if you've had people loving you conditionally, when you come to God... Uh, you kind of expect God to love you conditionally. So then you also kind of test God, you know. You do stuff and you think, oh, now I've done my worst. God is not going to love me anymore. God is going to reject me. I sinned yesterday. Now I, can't, I cannot come to God because I'm a sinner. Um, God doesn't love me. And so quickly we equate God and we put God on the same level as people. People will reject me because I did something wrong, so God will also not love me. Um, and it, I just had this picture of this giant standing in front of a giant and this little person, you know, trying to hit this giant. I want to do as much as I can to hit this giant to see how I can, 
hurt this giant and what I can do to let them really feel I'm walking away from you. And it feels like that is what we do with God. We... We try and hit him and hurt him. And, you know, sometimes we sin and we think, Yo, now God is going to leave me. But we're only hurting ourselves. We're only hurting ourselves by, by giving in to sin and, and, and walking away. Um, it feels like we think God walks away when we do things wrong. But God doesn't walk away. He's the one that keeps standing there. He's standing there and we walk away because of our sin, because of the things that we do wrong. And then we think that God has left us. Um, so quickly we think that, but, but you know, um, God is not, God is not around. God is not in this world. And we look at this world and we think, yeah, but if, if God is really here, you know, certainly the world would be perfect. But God is always with us. God is always in the world. I think we don't realize that if God was not here, what this world would look like. It's not like the devil enjoys the yakaranda trees and the beautiful stuff here around us. It is still there because God's presence is still here. Even though there's a lot of sin in the world, even though, you know, things aren't going the way it is, God's presence is still with us. And something that I just realized, which I actually wanted to show the clip for those of you who saw the Passion of the Christ, just that end part. Oh, no, Hanukkah. Where Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I just want to read it. It's in Matthew 27. It says, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was forsaken by the Father. I think we always realize that, you know, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He took our disease. He took our torment. He took everything on the cross. But what we don't realize always is that Jesus took that separation from God the Father on himself. He was separated from God the Father so that we never have to be separated from him. So that we never have to experience that utter God, why have you forsaken me? And so quickly we think, but God has forsaken us. God has not forsaken you. And he says in his word, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He promises that, and God is not the man that he, was, that he should lie. Um, Jesus already paid that price of separation, of lack of relationship with God the Father, so that we will never have to go through that lack of relationship. So this morning, I think we sometimes just think God is not here, but God is everywhere. God is with you even when you feel down, when you feel alone. He says, I am with you. I will not forsake you. And that is something that really spoke to my heart. You know, that Jesus took that separation on the cross so that you don't have to go through that. Yeah, we, don't, we don't always think about the fact that, yes, Jesus didn't just take our sin and our sickness and so on, but he, he took our broken relationship. And if you're experiencing broken relationship, maybe broken marriage even, there's grace for that too. Jesus made provision for that too. So just in closing, this earthly marriage between, you know, imperfect or fallen spouses that cannot fulfill only points towards a heavenly marriage between perfected spouses that can actually fulfill. It's, it's an it's a impartial, imperfect foretaste of the ultimate marriage which will complete us and which will fulfill us. And, and um, you know, just 
want to also say to you that there, there are some of you sitting here this morning and you've been avoiding God because you, you think you're not good enough. And, and you're right, you're not. <laughs> but that's not a problem. That's why the gospel is there. I mean, the, the Bible says he loved his wife and he cleansed her with washing of water through the word. That's what Christ did for his, his, his spouse, the, the, the church. In other words, what, what it says is that Christ doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us in order to make us lovely. It's a sanctifying love with which he loves you. you. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to him. You come to him and allow him to clean you up. Amen? So don't avoid Jesus because you think you're not good enough, because you think you're dirty, or because you think this or that or the other thing. Jesus can solve that problem. And, you know, some of you, you know, if you've been married as long as Rochelle and I have, or maybe even not even that long, um, you, sometimes you try and change your spouse, but you can't. You can't change your spouse. But your heavenly spouse can change you and can change your spouse. Jesus can change us. We cannot change each other, but Jesus can change us. And that's how we can grow in marriage and become the men and women God intended and predestined us to be. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.